This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we make our way through this Easter week. Glad you're with us. Here's what we're going to be talking about on AOA today. Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, will join us. We're going to discuss the importance of these trade talks with Japan and what it could mean, especially in the meat sector. Also coming up today, a look at the recently released Ag Census. What's in there? What's the significance of those numbers? We'll talk with an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. And we have the latest Ag Equipment sales numbers. The numbers from March, we'll be talking with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. But first, we're going to kick things off with a report on the Farmers for Free Trade motorcade that got underway on Friday. Joining us now is Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Brian, thanks for joining us. Where are you? <laughs> it's a good question. We're at the corner of Dodge and Cass City Road. Um, we're in near Cass, Michigan. And uh, we've been putting a lot of miles on the RV. Uh, you know, we started in Pennsylvania on Friday. We wrapped up through New York on Saturday. We went through Ohio on uh, Sunday, and today we're in Michigan. And we'll close out the day uh, with a meeting with uh, Congresswoman uh, Walorski of South Bend, Indiana, uh, later today at about 5 o'clock. So a lot of miles between the stops, but some really great meetings with farmers and members of Congress talking about trade and the, important of the, US, the importance of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. Yeah, let's talk about the stops you have made, the types of events that you've held, and the discussions and reactions that you've had. You know, we're holding three kinds of stops. Uh, We're having uh, farm events. Uh, So each day, like this morning, we start the day with an event at a farm uh, where we invite farmers from the area to come together to talk about the importance of trade and, and again, the importance of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And we invite members of Congress and their staff to those events. So we had uh, three, we had staff for three different congressmen at uh, this morning's event in Cass, Michigan. A really well attended event. A lot of farmers. Uh, we also had uh, we had panelists um, from uh, from from soybeans, from hard beans, from uh, wheat, uh, and then actually a panelist from General Motors who came in since we're in Michigan to talk about how General Motors supports the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement too. So we're doing these kind of farm events, and we're also doing stop-bys with members of Congress where we'll just stop into their office. And uh, and then we're doing sort of more photo opportunities where we'll come in and, and uh, visit business, talk about trade real quick, take some pictures, and move on down the road. It, it really is a whistle-stop tour. Are you getting some good coverage and uh, response as you make your way across the country? You know, we are. We're getting good uh, good. Uh, coverage by the news media and and then great response from farmers uh, you know it's not necessarily good for farmers but it's uh uh raining today um and i know they'd rather be out in the field working but because it's uh because it's raining we had a good turnout of, of farmers i suspect as soon as the sun comes up everyone will be out doing what they should be doing which is planting uh so uh, but but where we've uh, where we've had events so far we've had great turnout uh farmers really understand how important trade is uh, to their industry and, and really want to be supportive of getting this trade bill passed through Congress. As you have talked with members of Congress, what have they said about USMCA? Well, you know, I, we're hearing a lot of support for the bill, but I, I think it's really important that no one take this for granted. You know, I was saying at this event we just had, if, if we take it for granted, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, Congress is so polarized. And people are so squared off between Democrats and Republicans. What we need to do is focus on on the fact that this is good for America, good for American agriculture. And we all need to work together to really encourage Congress to pass this bill. Have they said that the tariffs on steel and aluminum on uh, Canada and Mexico will have to be lifted before it could pass? Uh, yeah, we've definitely heard that from a lot of members of Congress, and and I think that's I think that's true. I think that uh, that Congress won't pass this bill with those the steel and aluminum tariffs still in place. 
Um, I, I think that's pretty much a given that they're going to have to come off. We're talking with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. The Farmers for Free Trade Motorcade for Trade started last Friday in uh, Pennsylvania, is now in Michigan, and you still have quite a few miles to go. Boy, we do. We, uh, we're, we're wrapping through Michigan and Indiana today, and uh, then up into Illinois tomorrow. Uh, we'll take a break for Easter, and then after Easter, we'll pick up again with events in uh, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, and that will wrap up April, and then uh, we're still in planning stages, but we'll undoubtedly be doing more uh, more trips, probably through the Pacific Northwest, down through California. Uh, but that's all that's all still on the books, trying to try to figure out the, uh, the the planning for those events. And your goal then is to raise awareness about the importance of trade for U.S. agriculture. That's right, and and to engage engage folks in support of, of that trade. Uh, you know, real easy thing people can do. If you take out your cell phone, you can text USMCA those letters to the number five two eight eight six. So you text the five two eight eight six, and yet you enter the, the letters USMCA, and you press send. That brings you a link, and you can follow that link to send a letter to Congress saying, "Hey, take up this trade bill and get it passed." You know, this is the trade deal President Trump negotiated with Mexico and Canada. It updates and modernizes NAFTA. It's a good deal. Let's uh, let's contact our members of Congress and ask for them to move it through Congress. What have you heard from farmers? Are they nervous? Are they optimistic? Are they cautiously optimistic? What would you say? Well, you know, I think farmers and the, the what we hear is farmers are hurting, right? I mean, commodity prices are low. Huge uncertainty because of the trade war with China, the, the steel and aluminum tariffs, and the retaliation with Mexico and Canada. Uh, just everywhere you look, farmers have really been taking it on the chin, from commodity prices to trade disruptions to input prices. Um, people are getting squeezed, and, and what we hear a lot is farmers want to see this bill go through Congress because it will restore some certainty. Uh, it'll, it'll stabilize trading relationships with two of our largest trading partners. And, and let us get back to the business of farming and get back to the business of trade. All right, Brian, the RV running okay? The RV is running well. Uh, we thank Cruise America. We've actually rented this RV through August, and they, they gave us a good vehicle. And uh, if you see it going down the road, you won't miss it. It's wrapped in uh, huge letters about USMCA and trade. And if you do see us, please please honk and let us know you support trade. Very good. Safe travels to you. We'll check in again while you're on the trip. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Their motorcade for trade has made its way to Michigan with several stops, several states to go, as, as he mentioned. All right. Coming up later in the program, we're going to talk about the ag census. We'll talk about the latest ag equipment sales numbers for March. But coming up next trade talks on that topic of trade trade talks underway with japan since the u.s pulled out of tpp uh, many in agriculture have pushed hard to get something done with japan talks are underway we'll talk with the president and ceo of the u.s meat export federation about those talks next on aoa adams on agriculture Soybean growers are going all-in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all-in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all-in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, plant-based burgers are in the marketplace, and you shouldn't just dismiss these if you're a livestock producer or a meat eater. Let's talk about it with Eric Bowl. He is the Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy for the Missouri Farm Bureau. There about finding something that actually approximates real meat. That's the, the difference here is 
you know, these Garden Burgers and Boca Burgers before were marketed towards vegans and vegetarians. They were not ever meant to take over part of the meat market. These are intended to take over the meat market. Their entire goal of these companies on their mission statements is to end animal agriculture. And that is what makes it really different is they've got big money behind this. It's high tech, and they're really getting close to getting it right. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Trade talks underway with Japan, eagerly awaited by many in agriculture. Let's talk about it with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for being with us. Uh, hard to overstate the uh, the significance and importance of these trade uh, trade talks to agriculture. Well, without a doubt, Mike, and good morning. Um, Yes, uh, we're really excited about the start of these talks. Um, Japan, by far, is our largest uh, value market on both beef and pork and our most important market on an export standpoint. Uh, Roughly $13 billion in ag goods were traded with Japan last year, and uh, in the case of beef and pork, we were about $3.6 billion of that, so almost 28%. Um, So you get an idea just how important... uh, the Japan market is to uh, to our beef and pork producers out there. With us out of TPP and those countries moving forward without us, what are the headwinds we're facing trying to do business into that market now? Well, let's look at both beef and pork separately. Um, they're a little bit different. Uh, beef on the beef side, uh, what we have is a situation where our, our competitors that are in the uh, CPTPP, primarily Australia, Canada, and Mexico, they're, they're enjoying about a uh, 12% duty advantage, inbound duty advantage, uh, versus the U.S. We're at 38.5%, while they're, they're at about 26.5%. Uh, that's bad enough, but over time, over the implementation period, they, they decrease over time, over the next 14 years, to 9%. So, uh, obviously, the situation gets more severe as time goes on. On the pork side, uh, you know, similar uh, but different players. Uh, the EU being a big competitor, uh, Canada and Mexico as well, and Chile are the big competitors in Japan. And um, the situation's a little different there, but 
a couple of the key categories that are impacted today are seasoned ground pork and and processed pork products. Um, we're at a twenty percent duty. They're they're at thirteen percent, but headed to zero by the year two thousand twenty-three. So, so I think um, I think the the fact that the, the key thing we were watching in Japan with the trade. Uh, they wanted to see some positive signs on getting the process started. So the fact that we're kicking off these talks this week is, is good news, and the fact that uh, uh, they're starting to finally see some progress, uh, so the Japan trade's uh, encouraged by that. So in light of what the, the uh, situation you just described and what we're facing, what do we need to see in a new trade deal with Japan to get us are we just talking about re- reducing tariffs, removing tariffs, or what do we need to see in a deal? Well, I think there's several different ways it could go, but uh, you know, an agreement, an agricultural agreement, as it relates to our areas of interest, beef and pork, that's similar to what TPP had, would 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 be would be uh, would be good. But I think the most important thing is that whatever we do, uh, sooner is better. Uh, you know, time is of the essence because we're already behind the eight ball, and the longer this goes on, the worse it gets in terms of disadvantage vis-a-vis the competitors I just mentioned. So, I think that uh, I think that's the key point. The times of the essence, uh, and I think uh, the the industry is aligned on this. And I think uh, I think uh, you know Secretary Purdue has been very uh, outspoken as well about uh, times of the essence. So, in that regard, I think uh, we're encouraged by what we see happening. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, there had been talk about maybe the U.S. reentering some type of uh, TPP arrangement, uh, but, of course, the president made it clear he preferred the bilateral deals. Does the fact that Japan is having these talks with the U.S. indicate that they are willing uh, now to uh, accept that we're not going to go with the TPP uh, model, we're going to go with the bilateral? Well, I think uh, from our from our perspective, uh, whatever gets us there is uh, is is the is good. Um, and once again, whatever gets us there quicker is ideal. So, uh, in fact, I head to Japan tomorrow, um, spend uh, about a week over there, and I think what we're going to hear, what we are hearing from the trade, is the same thing that I just mentioned that uh, our customers in Japan also think that time's of the essence, uh, and they want to see progress being made, um, knowing that it takes time. They, we, they totally understand that this, this sort of thing does not happen overnight, but we need to see some steps in the right direction, and, and the fact that we finally have these uh, talks started after waiting for several months, uh, this is a good thing. Not discounting other markets around the world, but it seems right now we're focused on uh, a three-legged stool here on trade with China, USMCA, and now Japan. Those being three pretty strong, uh, you know, uh, parts of that stool, the legs of the stool that we need to really move trade forward. Would you agree that that's those are the big three right now? Yeah, those, those are three important ones. I would also add in Korea there as well. Uh, Korea has been um, very, very good for agriculture the last uh, four or five years. But keep in mind that when you're talking about these uh, countries, um, the product mix varies between some of these countries as well, which when they're all working together, uh, they tend to complement one another. And, you know, if any one of them, uh, Mexico, Canada, Japan, uh, any one of them is out of step for any reason, it throws off the whole the whole mix. So uh, they're all important in that regard. And uh but, but none more important than Japan being the highest value market that we have. Well, using my three-legged stool analogy, you take one of those legs out, and you're going to have a hard time keeping that stool up, right? It's going to want to exactly, tip over. Exactly, yeah. Exactly right, yep. Well, you mentioned Korea. Of course, we have the free trade agreement there. I mean, that's an example of it working, right, of these free trade agreements. Exactly right. Uh we have uh, we either have a par uh, par situation depending on the species and the country you're talking about, or we we have an advantage on the implementation. So uh, I've always said though that you know an advantage is nice, but put us in the same same playing field with anybody and we'll compete. So uh, in that regard, uh, that's really what we're we're hoping to attain with. Uh, well, with both China and Japan, for that matter. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think, like I said earlier, the industry's aligned, and uh, 
and we are we are ready um, to go. And uh, and I know the Japanese customer base is ready to go as well. So, like I said, we're encouraged about getting these uh, these uh, talks started with Japan. I did not mention Europe because it remains to be seen if agriculture is going to be part of the talks there. We insist that they will be, and the EU keeps saying they won't be. Yes. Um, you know, honestly, of course, we hope that Europe does include agriculture in there because we see, quite frankly, we don't talk a lot about Europe, but it is another opportunity for U.S. agriculture, on, especially on beef but on pork as well. And uh, I think it's not to be overlooked because, um, you know, our, our second highest value market on a per pound basis in the world is uh, the beef that we are currently selling to Europe. So, uh, so, so they understand quality and they understand, uh, and they're willing to pay for it. So in that regard, yeah, we would be very excited about, uh, hopefully getting agriculture included on the Europe scheme as well. Dan, your thoughts on African swine fever, the impact in China, obviously, but also into Vietnam and other countries now, uh, what that may mean as far as the demand for, uh, you know, not only U.S. pork, but beef as well. Well, yeah, you bring up a good a good question. Uh, number one, I would say African swine fever, very, very scary. Um, uh, you don't wish this on anybody, uh, but especially we, we hope that we never have to endure it in North America. That being said, this, this sort of uh, situation has the potential to disrupt uh, global trade flows, uh, China being an example, but you also mentioned Vietnam, and there, there's other areas Cambodia, I believe, another one that just recently announced having it. So, yes, this is something we're going to have to watch very closely because it's not only a, a potential opportunity uh, to divert global trade flows from traditional areas in, you know, into China, but, but other areas. And we're starting to see the business increase on pork already on some of the sales uh, into China, and that's with a 62% duty that we have today. Um, and as you mentioned, it has the potential to also adjust trade flows on beef because uh, if some of the numbers that people are speculating about in China are true as far as the shortfall, um, it'll take uh, increased demand from not only pork around the world but probably beef and, and, and other proteins. So, yes, something we have to watch very, very closely definitely has uh, the capacity to uh, to disrupt and uh traditional trade flows and it could make this coming year of a couple probably the next couple of years very interesting well dan have a safe trip to japan and we'll look forward to talking with you when you get back okay all right thank you so much mike thanks a lot dan hallstrom president and ceo of the u.s meat export federation all right coming up next we're going to get into the uh ag census numbers what stands out and also what the what does it mean moving forward we'll talk with an economist with the american farm bureau federation up next on aoa adams on agriculture Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? 
Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Positive tone in cattle futures, firm in lean hogs, losses in the grain and oil seed sector. Beef cutouts started the week higher with choice cutouts rising $2.23 on Monday. Beef ribs have been on the rise in recent weeks, according to the Wire Talk. Choice ribs up $4 on Monday after gaining more than $8 last week. Live cattle futures trending into positive territory, some 35 to 82 cents higher. April at 127.12, that's up 82. Beater cattle may up 62 at 151.65. Lean hog futures trending a dime to 30 cents higher. June up 17 cents an hour into the day at 98.47. For the grains and soybean futures, we are backpedaling from Monday's advances on a turnaround Tuesday. Four to five and a fraction lower. May soybeans at eight ninety three, down five and three quarters. November at nine twenty five and a quarter, down five and three quarters. On the July contract, we see support at eight ninety six and a half. Swing high resistance at nine twenty and a quarter. In corn, the May contract down four and a quarter at three fifty eight and a half. December down three and three quarters at three eighty seven. For the wheats, we continue to slide. Chicago wheat July down eight and a half cents at four fifty-four and a half. Kansas City July down seven and a quarter at four twenty-six and a quarter. Minneapolis wheat May down a nickel at five twenty-six and three quarters. September new crop at five thirty-seven and a half, down four and three quarters. Cotton futures trending one hundred nine to one hundred seventy-six points higher. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is up fifty-eight. Crude oil down 18 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's take a look at the recently released Ag Census. Joining us to do that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me on, Mike. Lots of numbers there, lots of things to look at in an Ag Census, but uh, what were some of your big takeaways from it? Well, this is a pretty massive undertaking by NAS. Uh, so as evidenced by the fact that we're not really getting these numbers until they've had a full year to make sure everything is uh, in order in terms of all the collections go. But I'd say a few of the at least key takeaways for me is that, you know, that long-term trend of land and farms as well as total number of farms continues to decline somewhat moving forward. So in the five years, uh, you saw the total number of farms uh, drop down to uh, a little bit over 2 million. Uh, it's about a 3% decrease from the year before, and total land and farms is now just over 900 million acres, 
about a 2% decline from the uh, 2012 census. Were there any surprises there for you? Uh, well, one uh, big surprise that popped up was if you're looking at just the numbers, it would appear at first glance that the uh, number of female farmers increased pretty dramatically. Um, the increase from 2012 to 2017 was a 30% increase. But this isn't necessarily meaning that we have 30% more women involved in agriculture at this point. It's more of the way USDA asked the question. Uh, in previous years, they would typically just focus on the principal operator. So in situations where you have a husband-wife or father-daughter uh, type operation, that's not necessarily capturing all the people involved in the decision-making aspects of the farm. Uh, this also was uh, reflected in an increase in the uh, number of younger farmers, but again, I think that's because that question uh, started to capture those intergenerational partnerships where you have the parents and the, and the children both making decisions uh, for the farm as a whole. For the most part, did you think these numbers showed the continuation of trends we've seen developing uh, the last several years? Yes, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, one that, uh, you know, it kind of surprised me a little bit was the average size of farm. Uh, one trend that you've been hearing uh, in and out of the ag news that gets a lot of attention is the, the people keep talking about the consolidation of farms. Uh, but the average size of the farm only increased by seven acres from 2012 to 2017. Now, that doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, if you look at it, everything broken out in terms of farm size, you still see an increase in at the top end of those number of farms. So of all the different categories that they that uh, USDA breaks down by farm size, the only two categories that saw an increase in total number was in 2012 to 2017 was your 2,000 or more acres and then your 1 to 9 acres. So what we're seeing is a little bit of a hollowing out of the middle while at the either extreme in terms of total numbers, you still see an increase in, in the number of those sizes of farms. Uh, that small one, I think, is what's keeping the average uh, size lower than most people would think. Um, you're seeing a lot of urban ag, a lot of small organic farmers getting into the game at that smaller end. Uh, but in terms of overall acres, it's still more concentrated at the upper end of the spectrum. We're talking with Michael Nevue. He's an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We're talking about the recently released ag census. Looking at the uh, the age of farmers, which we've seen that figure going up, I find it interesting because it's also a time when we know that some are getting more and more, maybe older farmers getting out of farming, and are we going through a transition which would seem to shift us back maybe to more younger farmers coming in? How did we describe this period? of Is this a transition time we're in right now, do you think? You know, I think that might be somewhat of a fair characterization. So your average age of farmers, again, increased uh, with the 2017 census. Uh, for your principal operators, it's now up to just over 59 years, uh, up from 58, uh, 12 years, I mean, five years ago. But this census also captured two new categories, what we call new and beginning farmers, and then young producers, uh, and they define that as 35 years or less. And the average age of that younger producer in that category is uh, 29 years old. Uh, and you had over 321,000 uh, operate producers who classify as that young producer. Uh, new and beginning is defined as 10 years or less on any farm. Uh, that average age is only 46, so still well below the overall average. And, I, and the number of uh, folks on that age range are uh, 908,000 producers. So, you know, out of three point, I mean, out of two million producers, um, and you still got about a million on this lower age range. I'd say it's it's pretty fair to call it somewhat of a transitional period. Anything stand out geographically as far as uh, breakdown by states? Uh, anything indicating any real shifts or movement? Uh. I don't know about shifts. If you look at the total value of agricultural production, um, California is still the top state in terms of value. Uh, that's also because California uh, tends to produce your more high-value goods on smaller amount of uh, land. So you think fruits and vegetables, tree nuts, uh, wine grapes is a big one. Uh, Iowa is the second uh, uh, 
amount, followed by Texas and then Nebraska, which you'd probably think more as your uh, traditional ag states. Um, again, most of the top counties are going to be in your, your California area. So uh, we're still waiting on getting a lot of our more uh, regional data. Uh, so this isn't all the data that uh, NASA is going to release. We're going to get county-based data and congressional district-based data a little bit later. This is just the uh, first amount of uh, releases that they're putting out. Some people, no doubt, would say, well, that's kind of interesting, but to really what, what does it matter or what good does it do to have that information? Well, actually, that information is used in a number of ways and actually helps determine perhaps policies or programs uh, on the federal, maybe even state level. Absolutely. I cannot stress that enough. So uh, we always harp on responding to uh, USDA, uh, not only the census, but all of their reports where they request information from farmers. Because not only do we get to use it in developing our policies, it's part of you think about it, you can't fix the problem if you don't have accurate data on what it is. And then policymakers, whenever they're developing the next farm bill, you can bet that they're going to be turning around and looking at this census data and trying to put forward their priorities. So I absolutely agree that this is important. Um, It's not only for use by the government. Private companies use it. Uh, It's really this kind of granular data can impact uh, even things down to prices and hedging, which producers use on a daily basis as well. So, you know, I I can't stress enough the importance of it information like this exists. Uh, The U.S. really is the gold standard when it comes to data collection in terms of ag. We do it better than any other country on earth. The uh, criticism often heard about agriculture is that it's just gotten too big. You know, uh, we've, uh, it's big agriculture has taken over and driven out the smaller operations. Does this census uh, give more uh, ammunition to those critics, or is there more in here now that says, hey, there's room for uh, various sizes of farming operations? Um, You know, that's a difficult question to answer. As far as giving ammunition, uh, this census reaffirms the idea that, you know, the vast majority of farms out there are still owned by families. Uh, People use the term corporate farming, but in terms of things that are actually labeled as a corporation in terms of tax designation, uh, that's still a very, very small number of overall farms. Now, I can't deny that, on average, your farm size are getting bigger. Like I said, you're, you're seeing a hollowing out of the middle more so than everything concentrating at the top. Like I said, we're still getting a lot of those very small producers entering the game. Um, now, it's going to take a lot of those producers to make up the total acreage, uh, but I think, you know, it just depends as well on commodity by commodity. Um, some commodities, yeah, it's a lot easier to get that economies of scale, but other commodities uh, it may be a little bit easier to be on the smaller operations. So I think there's still room in there for every farmer who wants to get involved in agriculture. There's, there's Agriculture always has room, I think. The key to this, and you, re- you, you referred to this earlier, the key is, uh, on any type of a survey, is how the question is asked. Did they, did they change a lot of the wording in the questions this time? Well, they changed some of them. So the one I mentioned uh, that really drew drew a lot of attention, at least at the front end, was they asked that question on uh, who your principal operation, uh, who, who is your principal operator. Now it's more phrased around including other people who make decisions on the farm. And, you know, I think that's an important way to capture the data because it, it does show a more accurate picture of who's involved in agriculture. Everybody tended to look back on ag and say it's, uh, quite frankly, this older male uh, population, but, you know, they don't realize that, you know, a lot of these times it's partnerships and people going into the farming operation together, and and this information more accurately captures that. Um, There's also uh, the last few censuses have changed the way they ask questions uh, about conservation-based programs. So uh, that's something where I think farmers have an excellent story to tell in terms of uh, they really are the original stewards of the land. And one thing that changed from uh, 2017 and 2012 census, and this is 2012 was the first time they asked this question, so back to your question, uh, conventional versus conservation versus no-till. Um, in 2012, conventional uh, was at the top, followed by conservation and no-till. In the 2017, um, no-till was the highest, followed by conservation, and then uh, conventional was the lowest. So you're definitely seeing 
uh, more farms utilize uh, environmentally friendly practices. Uh, additionally, one that was captured was cover crop. Uh, amount of acres uh, planted with cover crops increased by 50 percent. That is interesting. It does give us an interesting snapshot of where we're at with agriculture, and as we said, it has an impact on uh, the future direction of programs and policies. Michael, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Mike. A lot to look at. Michael Nevue, economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. More to come here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds, all backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Let's talk about trade, in particular, your differences with the, the president when it comes to the use of tariffs. Now, in the case of Mexico and Canada, the president put these tariffs on to get them to negotiate. The negotiations were successful from the president's point of view. Then the tariffs ought to go off. They're still on. The president's got to realize Mexico's not going to take it up. Canada's not going to take it up. We aren't even going to take it up in the United States Congress unless those tariffs get off. Uh, I don't know why it takes so long. The economy's a little bit soft. Negotiations would really be a big boost to the economy. This may not be done this year, and if it isn't done this year, it's not going to be done in election year. So the president needs to get off of the pot and start doing things that will help him and the economy. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. There's a difference between field experts and experts in the field. At FS, we're experts in the field. Our crop specialists are driven to maximize every acre and bring the latest agronomic technologies and innovations to your farm. Whether recommending the appropriate hybrid or variety, nutrient management for optimum growth, or advice on disease and pest management, our crop specialists are always focused on pointing your operation forward. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean, or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, each month we take a look at the uh, latest ag equipment sales numbers, kind of give us a, a barometer, a look at uh, how things are going. And uh, um, we've been talking about this for over a year now, how even with the down ag economy, we've seen equipment sales hold pretty pretty steady. And let's get an update now from Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, thanks for being with us again. What do the March numbers tell us? Well, our March numbers uh, for the tractor and combine sales continue to be uh, kind of a broken record from what we saw in February and January. We're we're uh, we're solidly in this replacement market where uh, you know the numbers are holding pretty strong despite the ag economy, despite uh, you know USDA predictions of 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 no major uh, major increases in in farm income. We're still seeing tractor numbers and combine numbers hold pretty solid. You know there were we. We've talked about this throughout since the steel and aluminum tariffs went into place on Canada and Mexico and, and then all the retaliation, everything that goes with that. Uh, what impact has that had on equipment sales? Well, it's it has, uh, I mean, the numbers don't necessarily point to it having a major effect on the equipment sales, but I think that's largely because the uh, the equipment manufacturers have done the, a pretty good job of of holding the line on prices and maybe even absorb, absorbing some of those additional costs uh, that, that that came with their raw materials going up because of those steel and aluminum tariffs. So as, as we know, the farm economy is down, and and uh, you know the last thing we want to do is is have a major increase in the price of equipment. So I think that hasn't necessarily had the numbers haven't dictated a necessarily a a big uh, drop in sales as related to those steel and aluminum tariffs. But I'll tell you what, that storm cloud is still out there because of the retaliatory tariffs related to trade. And that's what gives our, our uh, members a whole lot of pause, and I know that gives your least listeners and the farmers a whole lot of pause out there. Yeah, we're hearing Canada is preparing a, a new list uh, that will include ag products. Uh, let's take a look at those tractor numbers, kind of a breakdown by horsepower. You bet. Well, uh, one of the stories we've been, we've been saying for about two and a half years now is that under 40 horsepower tractors continue to be a bright spot. Year over year, we're at 10% uh, at the end of March from where we were this time uh, March last year. And that is on top of the 10% that we saw the year before that. And that under 40 horsepower tractor, you know, that's a, that's a lot of volume. But that also represents not just the ag economy, but the overall economy. Some of the other bright spots that have showed up in, the, uh, in this March report um, continue to see some pretty strong numbers in articulated four-wheel drives and continue to see some strong numbers in self-propelled combines. And you know, I know up in the, some of those big acreage areas of the Dakotas where you're using, where you have enough acreage to put an articulated four-wheel drive combine or a, or a new, or excuse me, articulated four-wheel drive or a new combine, that's a considered purchase. I mean, those are all half a million dollars and above. So for a farmer to, uh, to invest 
in those machines, they got to feel pretty good about it. And, and we continue to see, you know, March year over year, we're seeing about a 35% increase uh, in combines, about 25% increase in four-wheel drive tractors. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good number. The, uh, the soft spots on tractors have really been those utility tractors that fall into the 40, uh, 40 to 100. Uh, we've seen a, slow, a slight decline in those and uh, just mild increases in 100-plus horsepower uh, two-wheel drive tractors and front-wheel assist tractors. So those aren't, those aren't necessarily the solid numbers that we'd like to see, but overall it's sort of a mixed bag where, where if you look at those really high points of, of uh, under 40 and, and uh, high horsepower and combines and then the softness at the middle, it, uh, it still is a pretty decent story for the ag equipment company right now. As you talk with dealers, uh, what are you hearing as far in general? Are we seeing uh, a backlog uh, on lots, or are we seeing uh, used equipment moving more? What's happening out there? Well, what we were seeing about it, if you asked that question about a year ago, and certainly if you had asked that question a year and a half ago, I think we were absolutely dealing with a backlog of used equipment. It seems as if that used equipment has sort of found its way through the market, and that supply and demand are kind of, kind of uh, right where they need to be. As you know, you know the the used equipment market is a pretty, uh, pretty important part of the new sales. So if the if the used market is strong, new market continues to be strong. When the used market is soft, that's when you begin to see some drop offs of those numbers. So I think what we are what we're seeing right now, anyway, is that 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 used inventory is is kind of right at the level that it needs to be considering the economy and considering attitudes that are out there in the in the field. We've seen Canada's sales numbers struggling in recent months. What about this last month in March? Well, Canada is a is kind of a different story and there's some there's some reasons why Canada provides some some trouble right now. Uh, one of those being the exchange rate. And we talked about the used equipment market how important it is those residual values are in the sale of new. Well, the, uh, the exchange rate does have a bit of an impact on the sale of used equipment, and specifically in Canada. And I think that's kind of leading to some of that softness uh, in that Canadian market, where we've seen, uh, you know, the uh, uh, all tractors are down you know, about 6%, and uh, articulated four-wheel drive tractors have been down, you know, 25 to 30%. Now, we're not talking a lot of big numbers there, but percentage-wise, that's pretty big. Another uh, reason why some of those Canadian numbers are not as strong as we'd like to see them, I think, has to do with, uh, you know, just the impact of trade and, you know, the, the lack of implementation of USMCA. Obviously, we in North America or in U.S. are very keenly aware of it, but I'll tell you, you talk to Canadian farmers, and they are they are absolutely aware of what goes on with all the government programs, both in Canada and the U.S., because that affects their bottom line. And so that uncertainty, I think, is really leading to some folks not feeling terribly confident enough to be able to invest in that equipment in the in the Canadian market right now. Always interesting to get those numbers and uh, take a look at what's behind those numbers. Kurt, as always, thank you. We'll talk next month. Thanks much, Mike. Talk next month. Take care. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. For today, thanks for being with us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow on AOA Adams on Agriculture.